the last Sunday of the calendar year, there's almost always a Sunday between uh, Christmas and New Year's Day, Did this, this year just barely. But you know what I'm going to preach about. If you've been here for a while, you know what that for me, and I think I'm probably alone in this, this is not a tradition of the church or anything, but I, I want to appeal, I want to look forward to, I want to talk about that missing holiday, I, the title of this year, I'm dreaming of one another holy day or another holiday. You think after what we've been through, you know, with Christmas just over and all that, all that fuss and bother, you know, you want another one? And it's New Year's Eve tonight and New Year's Day tomorrow. Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I want one. There is a holiday or a holy day missing from the Christian calendar. And so they've got one little spot to squeeze it in here before, you know, after after Christmas Day. And not, now, not that we ought to be celebrating. I'm not saying that we should be celebrating it because we wouldn't know when to celebrate it. Uh, there, there couldn't have been a Passover celebration before Passover happened. Uh, there couldn't have been Christmas before the Christmas event. And, and even, though, even though the church, uh, you know, the historical church, not knowing the date of Christ's birth, kind of requisitioned a pagan holiday and infused it with its own meaning uh, to turn the attention to the birth of God's son in Bethlehem. And, and, and once again, a, a requisition... Uh, that, in my opinion, has been largely successful. You know, it, it's you know, it's, it, for some, it just it, that was a that was a terrible mistake, and you know, kind of paganized Christian holiday. But for but for me, none of the this is the day the Lord has made. The pagans, the, the devil doesn't own any of them, <laughs> and so we've I've faced this at, sometimes at Halloween. You know, say no, he he doesn't get that. That's not a day. The devil didn't make any days. And if we want to take one over and infuse it with our own meaning, that, that's great. And, and it seems like it's been successful to me. But as illustrated by the, um, as I brought up in past weeks, the the world's like phobic, seeming like trying too hard to avoid that Christmas word, you know, with Christ in it. You know, almost that unnatural kind of vain attempts to try too hard to avoid it and to kind of inflate some other religions holidays into something to be as big as Christmas which they're not you know they're not even to the even to the people who observe those religions so the so there's this this holiday of Christmas with the Jewish calendar of feasts and festivals outlined in the Old Testament we see that God advocated annual days of remembrance of the past uh, so that people would remember and think about and contemplate what God has done in salvation history. You familiar with that term, salvation history? Kind of a theological word. But what it means is that God has worked at various times and done things through history to bring about the salvation of men. And Jesus, like the Passover, for example, which, of course, looks forward to Jesus. It, it commemorates a great deliverance of, of the Jewish people from their Egyptian bondage, but it also looks forward to, to our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. The Lord himself observed Passover. And, of course, for us, Passover has become what? It's become Good Friday. And so 
what else? Which is a huge day, that first Good Friday. It's a huge day in salvation history. It's, a, it's, it's one of the major things that God did. One of the major things. The major thing that God did to bring about salvation to men. The Resurrection Sunday. The Sunday to follow. Huge day. <laughs> when Jesus was raised from the dead. Crucial day. Paul says, if, Paul, if, if Jesus is not raised, we're still in our sins. We're of all men most to be pitied. It's a huge thing. And, of course, we observe that Resurrection Sunday, you know, the, the, day at, you know, the Sunday after Passover, the Sunday after Good Friday. But really, you know, the, we did that. We did that. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. You know, have a you know, Resurrection Sunday, observe that as a special day. But we do it to remember. Really? Every single Sunday is a memorial to that resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do we come together on Sundays? The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. We have always done it from the very beginning because it was on a Sunday, the first day of the week, when Jesus rose from the dead. And so there we have, you know, like in our kind of calendar, we have Christmas celebrating the birth of Christ into the world. What an event! What an event that God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. Really, the greatest miracle that has ever taken place. And then we have Good Friday, when we remember that the Lamb of God, our Passover Lamb, was slain to take away the sin of every person who will accept God's inexpressible gift. We also have Resurrection Sunday. Of course, Jesus rose from the dead. And why did he rise from the dead? Because it was impossible for him to be held in his power and to signal to us that the sacrifice is, is sure, is accepted. The wrath of God has been propitiated. No, that's a biblical word, but has been spent, has been poured out, it's been exhausted. It was all poured out on the cross of Christ, and that's, it's done, it's finished. And so Jesus is raised from the dead. So what's missing? You know, we have Christmas, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. What's missing for salvation history to be complete, to be fulfilled? And it's His return. It's His return that brings everything in its everything that Jesus obtained for us, it brings us to its fulfillment, to its completion. Everything that the first advent was for will be fulfilled in the second. Uh, that will be an event that will never be forgotten. Will never, ever be forgotten. And it will undoubtedly... Now, now you know, I have chapter and verse of this. Well, we kind of have to read between the lines. But it's unimaginable to me that the anniversary of that date, whenever it is, will just come and go with no attention given to it. No thought about what happened this time last year, <laughs> five years ago, ten years ago, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. What will it be, be called? I'd, well, if I get a vote, Coronation Day might be a nice one. <laughs> Coronation Day. 
because the kingdom is going to come in all its fullness and the, and it'll be fulfilled what Jesus told us to pray that thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven maybe if not coronation day maybe homecoming because Jesus and those who are his will certainly be coming back to the place of their birth and for the followers of Christ at least the place from which they were made maybe maybe the safest bet for the name might be the day of the Lord because that's that's the name given to it in the in the scripture itself the day of the Lord and what do we do on that day what what or during the season that leads up to the celebration of that day well it will certainly be a day and even a season I would think of worship worship I have long assured you and I've tried to you know put your mind at ease uh, uh, and not to you know not to take to heart the kind of the sub biblical notion that the eternal state is nothing except one long eternal church service from which there is no escape <laughs> some Christians worry about that they secretly and most of them don't voice it but think is just when you know they take that they take that and I've said this to you before but they take uh, amazing grace to heart when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began we've been sitting here 10,000 years and we I like going to church but it's long enough the way it is you know and you think well maybe I'll be changed maybe I'll be changed so I'll like that sort of thing then you know like I mean I like it now but like you know on nothing but just singing praises and being involved in worship and I and I have long you know tried to convince you that the that the that the Bible's um, picture or presentation of the eternal state is far richer than that yes there's worship so good you wouldn't miss it for anything but then there's also there there's work and there's creativity and there's rest and there's play and there's eating and there's drinking and there's all kinds of things you know be beyond just being in worship but with when when you think about how will we how will we celebrate how will we treat how will we think about this time when when Jesus returned there will be worship and how could there not be worship how would we will we wor will our worship be uh, bigger more wholehearted more sincere more full of more full of energy when we'll be able to sing like we've sung this past season peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled how will we worship when there really is peace on earth you sustained East between, it's already, it's been, a, it's established, it's permanent. It's not going to, it's not just a temporary cessation of hostilities. But there really is peace on earth. How will we sing that? Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled. How will we sing that when the Lord Jesus himself is among us? 
as he was in his first advent. And, it's, and, and he's here as reigning king, king of kings, lord of lords, and he's going to be our God and we'll be his people. Here's the promise. Isaiah 2, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. How much more of a heart of worship will we have when all the tanks have been repurposed as um, harvesters, (laughs) tractors, No need to plan for war. No need to plan against war because King Jesus is the good shepherd of the nations and no hostile nation will ever attack yours. Ever. That's the promise. Isaiah 9, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government... And of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How will we worship when the zeal of the Lord of hosts has accomplished this? Not will, has I wonder what King Jesus' approval rating will be. What will be the move of the world toward God when it will never again be said, as Isaiah says, you have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. People will say, you remember that? You remember how that was back then when we couldn't get good people to government, in, in to, to govern We couldn't get good people. You have a cloak, you be in charge. You remember when it was like that? Instead instead of good people, it seemed to be that the, the worst characters in the world rose to the top. King Nebuchadnezzar once said, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. That's the verse I look to when my guy loses. <laughs> the good, but when the kingdom comes, we'll say, "That's it. you remember that? That's how it used to be. But now the best man who's ever lived is at the top. His king is governing. No more... Loyal or disloyal opposition, no more constant bickering, fighting, no more ongoing battle between parties, between tribes, between peoples, or even between good and evil. 
Jeremiah 31 says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And God would have to remember sins because there won't be any fresh ones to mess things up. The citizens of the kingdom will have changed hearts and they will delight in loving and serving the Lord and doing right. And that changed heart will not be compromised because it resides in a house of fallen flesh in which sin still has leverage. You know, if you're in Christ through faith in him, you, you have God's law written in your hearts right now, and you, and you know that you do, or at least you can know that you do, because you agree with the law of God in the inner man. You want to do good. You want to please the Lord. You hate your sin. It grieves you the way it grieves the Holy Spirit when it, when it happens. You, know you know the experience of repentance. You know it's good to come back to the Lord and restore fellowship, but it's painful at the same time. Because you know that Romans 7 experience of that part of you that agrees with the law of God and the inner man residing in fallen flesh in which that appetite for sin still exists, that susceptibility to sin still exists. And you, and sometimes you do the very thing you hate and the good that you want to do, you don't do. That's just for now, though. Romans 7, which you recognize, you know, is, that's just for now. That's not the way it's going to be. Sometimes you might be so frustrated with your continuing susceptibility to sin, you want to, you want to yell out. You, know, you understand what, this, what Paul's talking about. You want to yell out, wretched man that I am, who will free me from the body of this death? Well, there's an answer to that, of course. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. When he comes, how good will it be? How sincerely will you worship when you are not complicated by the remains of sin? You know, I think about everybody here. People say, they're good people. That's it. They're good people. Well, you're complicated people, too. <laughs> you're complicated by the remains of sin, uh, to be free of sin altogether, loving and serve the Lord with, with simplicity, right? With simplicity and with moral clarity. And speaking of being free from sin, how about being free from the effects of sin? <laughs> Isaiah once again, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. You remember, some of you here remember George Ludke when he was in our church and withered, you know, he had an arm like a little arm withered up and hand kind of curled under, leg the same way. He loved that one phrase, the lame man will leap like a deer. He never leaped like a deer back, even back when he was young. Never did it a single time. 
Isaiah 33, 24. And no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. No more sickness. No more diabetes. No more MS. No more cancer. There are few of us here that are really looking forward to the time they can say, I am not sick. What are we going to do to celebrate? What would we do to celebrate that? The day that happened. How about concerts by the formerly mute? How about art exhibits by the formerly blind? I don't want to, I don't want to be sacrilegious here, but how about, and you Seinfeld fans will get this, how about feats of strength by former paraplegics? <laughs> and of course, then there's the capstone of the reversal of the effects of sin, the reversal of death itself. Here's what he's saying. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die. We sing that. We sing that. How will we sing it when, when people aren't dying anymore? There's no more death. You know, from, from my vantage point right now, the, the, who knows what time will bring. And it might change, but right now, the hardest part of having an illness that very well may lead to death is, is having young grandchildren who may be too young to have any lasting personal memories of me. They think, they, they think I hung the moon now. You, you come into a room, they drop what they're doing, and Grandpa, and they come running. You know, it's been, a, when we first started having grandchildren, I realized how long it had been since somebody was that excited to see me come into a room. You know, that... <laughs> I'm, I'm well loved here. I come here and say... Wow, Pastor Chris, that hardly ever happens. <laughs> and that makes it, it makes it that much harder. You know, they just, they just think the world of me now. And just to, it just makes it so much harder to think about later on, you know, when they're a little older and, and, uh, and I'm, could be reduced to a picture on a wall of a person that they really don't have any personal memories of. Uh, a couple of days ago, we were in Alabama visiting our, our daughter and, and her family, and our seven-year-old granddaughter was allegedly afraid to, of things in the dark in her room. So I laid down next to her until she went to sleep. And before she fell asleep, we had a, we chatted. It's like, uh, Grandpa, is it the middle of the night yet? No, no, not nearly. How, how long until the middle of the night? 
Uh, it is at least four hours. Now, do you have? Don't you have your watch on? Yes. Well, then, how long will it be till the middle of the night? A few minutes later, Grandpa, I'm not sleeping yet. <laughs> well, just be quiet. You'll fall asleep. Why? Because the Lord made you to need sleep, and, and you will. You mean the Lord will make me fall asleep? Well, he can, but mostly he made your body so that it needs sleep, and it does sleep, and, you, and it likes sleep, and so you'll, you'll fall asleep. You never told me that before. <laughs> and so we, we're chatting like that. And I'm trying to be quiet. I'm trying to put, it to put it to bed, literally. I'm trying to put it to bed. But as we talked, I found myself praying that she would remember that. And remember that time. It was, so, it was sweet. And I prayed that she would remember that. I don't know if, if she will, but that's what I prayed. But as much as I want to be remembered, I am so happy that being remembered is not the extent of my hope. That that's not the end game for me. That's not the outcome of my faith. That's not the outcome of your faith. Because let's face it, Eventually, we're all pictures on the wall of whom no living person has any personal memory. Worse than that, we might be pictures on the wall at Cracker Barrel. We might be pictures, we might be pictures in a box at an antique store that nobody knows who in the world this person was whether he's good or bad or mean or pleasant or happy or miserable or what their life was like. Don't you, don't you hate? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you don't. I'll just say for myself. I hate going to funerals where the efficient says, he will live on in our memories. He lives on in our memories. He lives on in the way that he or she influenced us. We're all different because we know knew him or her. And she, he or she lives on in our memories and in our hearts. And I think whenever I hear that, I think what a thin gruel. What that really that's it for us? What happens when we forget us? I guess we're gone for sure then. What a thin, tasteless gruel that is compared to the biblical hope that we have when Jesus comes back. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, the apostle writes, about those who are asleep, euphemism for having died, 
that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's not just Jesus coming back. It's our, our people in Christ. In Christ. Now here's, here's what I say at every funeral where the deceased has allowed me to say this. In Christ, all our goodbyes are not forever. They're just for now. And when Christ returns, the for, no, the for now part will be over and done. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. I want to say that again because I want to emphasize the when. When, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immor on immortality, then shall come up to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I conducted a uh, funeral on Friday, Friday night, and a graveside service yesterday. The, the lady at NHC, who I've known for nearly 50 years, she passed. The one who always talked to me about, a, you know, like I'm 16 years old and I needed some serious straightening out. And the, the, the family wanted me to conduct the funeral. Because I'd, you know, I've, well, like I say, I've known her 50 years, and 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 in the last few years, I've visited her almost almost every almost every week. Well, she she was my best friend from high school's his aunt. Well, his mother passed yesterday before the graveside service. And I couldn't tell that family that death has no sting today. I couldn't tell them that. Because they were feeling it. They lost two dear people to the family, two dear people to the family in a space of a few days. They're, they're at the graveside. You know, you know how cold it was yesterday. They're standing at that cold graveside yesterday morning, and they've got another one coming up, you know, just like it in a few days. I couldn't tell them that death has no victory today <laughs> or that death has no sting today because they were looking at the victory in that box and in the hole in the ground, and they were... They were feeling the sting in their hearts. But when the trumpet sounds, when the Lord returns, and the dead in Christ are raised, then, Corinthians says, then people will exult. Death is swallowed up in victory. 
in Christ's victory. Death's day is over. Death's sting has passed. And that sounds like worship to me. <laughs> well, because, as I said, the eternal state is so much more than everlasting worship, sur- worship service, Worship time, as great as it will be, will make room for other things fitting the season. And one of those things will be visiting and feasting and rejoicing with family. And I've got chapter and verse on it. I tell you, Jesus telling, red letters, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Multi-generational fellowship unhindered by the limitations of sin and death. He says a little bit different in Luke 13. He adds north and south to the east and west. People will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. I think we see a foreshadowing of of what it's going to be like I think we see a foreshadowing of that at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Biggest travel days of the year, right? Especially Thanksgiving. Because then, here's why I think it's bigger. It won't be, how many generations can you get around a feast today? Three usually, four maybe, sometimes. Because we have, there are limitations. So so what's the so what of all this speculation or as I would rather think of it, a sanctified imagination of what it's going to be like when we have our missing holiday, when we've got it, when it's come? Well, let me leave you with a few so what's. Here's the first. Keep borrowing joy from the future as you do already. We, we do it all the time. Like we, like we just cited, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but we grieve as those who have hope. And how do we, how do we not grieve as those who have no hope? Well, we borrow a little joy from what's coming in the future. We know that that we, we look forward to the reunion. Uh, we, we look forward to the time when we will be able to say, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Why do we? Well, it's not just that. You know, we, the Bible tells us, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. How do you do that? Well, because we borrow a little joy from the time when our faith has stood the test and made our salvation sure. We, we rejoice because we, there will be a, a payoff. So just keep on doing it. We, we borrow joy from the future. There's no danger. You're, you're not depleting the joy of the future by borrowing some of it now. You're not using it up. Secondly, let the... And this is really a different way of saying the same thing, but it might strike you differently, so I'll say it a little differently. Secondly, let the future's full-fledged joy give you strength to endure now. The things that can 
just have to be endured. Hebrews says that this is what Jesus did. Listen to these few verses from Hebrews. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here's the, here's the part to listen to closely. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How did he get through it? By thinking about the joys coming in the future. There's nothing joyful about that cross. Nothing joyful about it. He didn't enjoy the shame of it. He despised it. But he, en he endured it by before the joy set before him. And some of the things we're called on to do as Christians just have to be endured. They're necessary. They're not pleasant. They're not easy. Hebrews says Jesus got through the cross by focusing on the joy that was beyond the cross. And what, what would that be? The joy of having accomplished his life purpose, the joy of saving his people, which he came to do, the joy of the Father's approval, the joy of reward. And, and we're to look to Jesus as our example. Another thing, let your faith in God's promised future loosen the world's hold on your affections. Uh, let it lessen your emotional investment in things that will be lost in life. Wealth, possessions, our various vanities, athletic abilities, good looks. We get over-invested those kinds of things, in the, and, and the hard fall is inevitable, isn't it? It's inevitable. Peter says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We sang Beulah Land, you know, old hymn. But listen, let's add something to it. Beulah Land is coming here. Yeah, we're going to Beulah Land. <laughs> but Beulah Land is coming here. Heaven descends to earth. And finally, what's the so what of this? The so what of this, what's coming for us in Christ's second coming? Love Love the second coming. Love his next appearing. Uh, Paul writes, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And I think this is a perfect time of year to think about what that could, what does that mean? Love his second coming, love his second advent, love his appearing. 
it's, an e it's easy to think about this time of year because we sure do love the first one. <laughs> we sure do love his first. We give a whole month to it. We teach about it. We sing songs about it. We thank God for it. We associate traditions with it and traditions that involve joy and celebration and compassion and generosity. We come to church to worship on this on a special day that we, whether it comes falls on a Sunday or not, we love it. And it's a purifying hope. And the Father will love it in you when He sees it. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Love the second coming. For lo, the days are hastening on. You sang this as well. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old. When with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold. When the new heavens and the new earth shall own the prince of peace their king. And the whole world sing back the song which now the angels sing. Let's pray. Lord, we do look forward with eager expectation to the next huge day in salvation history, the completion and fulfillment of our faith and our salvation. We long to be entirely free from sin and to live in a world free from sin. We long for the simplicity of following you with a whole heart, undivided, and undiverted by the temptations and weakness of fallen flesh, we long for the coming of Christ's kingdom on the earth, that your will, Father, will be done on earth as it is in heaven right now, as you've long asked us to pray for. We long for Christ's full and final victory over the last enemy. We, we long for the time when we'll be able to exult and say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because they'll be gone, both the victory and the sting. Let the joy in our future, ours through faith in Christ, overflow into, lives on, into our lives on this side of the grave and on this side of history. Let it give us strength to endure the things that must be endured. And let our blessed hope loosen our investment in those vain things that will surely come to naught and let us love more and more the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ Maranatha Lord come Lord Jesus we pray in his glorious name Amen <laughs>